O living God, thou who sits upon the throne of the universe, thou who workest all things after the counsel of thine own will, thou who hast given thyself that we may be enabled to approach unto thee through thine only begotten Son, thou who shed thy precious blood for the remission of our sins, thou who didst send the Holy Spirit to open our heart, we might attend to the things that are made for our peace. Thou who made us willing in the day of thy power to seek thy face and to call upon thy name. Thou who didst regenerate us and made us a new creation in Christ. Thou who didst grant us repentance and faith and thou, who, thou didst, who didst wash us in thine own precious blood and cleansed us from all of our sins, and thou who didst give us that spotless robe of righteousness that we may stand justified before thee, it is to thee, our living God, that we come this morning, as poor needy souls bowing at thy feet to give thee glory and to praise thy name that thou didst in love to our soul delivered it from the pit of corruption and cast all of our sins behind your back. It is to thee we come thou who hast loved us with an everlasting love thou who hast drawn us with cords of kindness unto thyself thou who hast bound us to thyself by the eternal covenant seal with thy blood. O thou who called us by name out from the rabble world, thou who didst make us will in the day of thy power, we bow at thy feet this morning with praise and with thanksgiving to praise thee. Who is likened unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders among the sons of men? Who is a God like unto thee? Thou art our God. Thou art our Father. Thou art the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art the one who knew us in eternity in Christ and chose us. Thou art the one who wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. Thou art the one who gave us to Christ as a love gift. Thou art the one who gave Christ to us as a love gift. What a God, what a living God, what a God we serve. And oh, my Father and our God, we desire to serve you with all of our heart. We desire to walk with thee with all the strength that thou hast given to us. Spirit, soul, and body, to walk with thee and to run after thee and to follow thee. And above all, to obey thee and to have <clears throat> thy truth written upon our hearts and to have that grace continually poured out upon us and to have that love shed abroad in our hearts. We long to be like you in love, in patience, in meekness, in kindness, in tenderness. We long to be like you in all that thou art, in every way that we possibly can be. We desire to have all those communicable attributes working in us and through us. We might be like you. Oh, Spirit of living God, work in our hearts. Work in our hearts. Give us the desires of our soul, for you said, If we delight ourselves in thee, thou shalt give us the desires of our soul. And the desires of our souls to be like thee, Lord Jesus. Conform to thine image, change from glory to glory in thy likeness. Our desire is to be with thee, to know of thy presence day by day and moment by moment, to walk in thy love, to walk in thy grace, just to be a little child, 
just to look in thy face by faith and know that thou art our Father who cares for us and loves us. We long to be like you. And our fathers, we come to thy precious word this morning. We've asked you time and time again. We ask you again now. Open it up to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit take it home to our hearts. Thou would raise up a people here who walk in godliness and contentment, who flee the things of the world, desire to run after righteousness and godliness, desire to run after faith, desire to run after meekness and kindness and patience. Raise up a people here who know thee, who are separate from the world, who love holiness, who love righteousness. Lord, so work in our hearts this morning as the word is unfolded to our hearts. We do pray for every family. Thou knowest the need in every home. Oh, my Father, thou knowest the need of every father, and mother, and husband, and wife. And young person, thou knowest the need of every child. Thou knowest, our Father, that we desire that each and every home would be a Bethel. We pray for those who are away from us today for vacation. Watch over them and keep them and give them thy grace and traveling mercies. Return them safely to us is our cry. Our Father, we thank you for all tribulation and tribulation. We thank you for all trials. We thank you for all blessings. We thank you for everything that thou dost allow into our life. But we can say with David, lions have fallen unto us in pleasant places, and we have a goodly heritage. Thou hast given us all of this in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us, lead us, provide for all of our need. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sorry I could not be with you for last Lord's Day. The message I heard preached was greatly a blessing to my soul. I'm glad the Lord has sent us this way this morning. We do want you to go in your Bible with us to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We want to look at a portion that has been read in your hearing this morning. To give you an overall view of the chapter, the Apostle Paul was instructing Timothy to preach to the servants and to the masters that were there because Slavery had not been abolished in that day. It was a society in which they lived. Some masters had become pastors. Some servants had become pastors. <clears throat> As always, there were those who took advantage of the situation and began to exert themselves and show themselves and the knowledge that they had and began to argue over this and that and different words and meanings until it became a question of becoming proud and disputing and even going as far as saying that godliness was gain because they, they could <clears throat> show forth what they knew and what they had learned and as it is today, and get money for it. Verse 6 starts off with a but. After giving us the first five verses, and telling us 
what brought all of this on. The Apostle Apostle Paul begins to lay down to his son Timothy and to our hearts this morning these words, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Then he tells us why. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and he quotes Job's words in Job 1. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Then he gives a warning. But they that would be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He warns them of going after the things of the world. He tells them what happens in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while, which while some coveted after. So the love of money is actually what I call in my booklet the root of all e- covetousness, the root of all evil. And this is what it is, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while, which while some coveted after. Covetousness, we are told in the Word of God, is idolatry. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Then he tells us what to do about it. He said, O man of God, or we could read that, but thou who are called saints, Thou who are called to be saints. Thou who are children of the living God. Thou who are washed in the blood of Christ. You who know the gospel. You have become changed individuals in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the expression, O man of God, that only applies to Timothy, but all who would read this portion of Scripture, all the children of God. And this is what he tells us to do. He tells us to flee these things. And that word flee carries with it the thought, not of a one-time thing, but it is the pattern, are you listening to me? It is the pattern of our life to flee. What he tells us in verses 4 and 5, that is, doting about questions and stripes of words and envying and evil surmisings and disputings, and those who are destitute of the truth, thinking that gain is godliness from such turn away. He said, let us flee the temptation to get rich, to have much of this world's goods, because all we're going to do when we do that is to pierce ourselves through with many sorrows. He said, I want, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make it the pattern of your life to flee these things. Constantly, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. In other words, it'll be the pattern of your life to flee these things. But God never leaves us in a vacuum. Never. Never does God lead us, leave us in a vacuum. For if he leaves us in a vacuum, we'll be like the man recorded in Matthew 12. For it says that he cleaned up his house, his body, and he went out, and he went to and fro seeking rest and finding none. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my house that's swept and garnished and cleaned up. And when he did, he took seven demons worse than he had before. The house, his body was left in a vacuum. A man can clean his life up. He can get away... he can get rid of all of his cigarettes. He can get, away, get rid of all of his, his lust, outward lust. He can get rid of all of his drinking. He can, get, he can become very moral. Clean up his life. But if Christ is not there, there is a vacuum. But God doesn't leave us in a vacuum. Y'all listen now. I never know how I'm going to start a message when I come to this book. Now, 
I never know how I'm going to end it. But I do know God has given me a word for our hearts this morning. A word that I want Him to sink down deep into my own soul. For God forbid that I should ever come to this pulpit to preach to you and not preach to myself. For I've already preached this to myself. In fact, this is what I would have preached on last Sunday morning if I'd have been here. So I've had two weeks now to ponder over this and to cry to God to work this in my own soul, in my own heart and life. Now I want you to listen, for I believe this is what God wants us to, to know and have at this hour, <clears throat> and that we might be governed accordingly, and that we will know what is the true life that God desires for us to live in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I said, God never leaves a vacuum. When he tells us to flee from something, then he will always tell us to follow after something. And that's what he's going to tell us here in that 11th verse of 1 Timothy 6. You follow me now as I lay my groundwork. He tells us to follow after righteousness, which is holiness, Right living. Follow after godliness. And we'll come back to this. Follow after faith. Follow after love. Follow after patience. Follow after meekness. Follow after these things. And then he warns us that it's not going to be an easy life. Well, we're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to have to, by faith, lay hold on eternal life. And this is what is always set before us, is the reward, the life out yonder. How do I know this? Just one example will cover it all. And the example is given in Hebrews chapter 11. And these words, when we hear what it was said about Moses, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Watch it. For he had what? He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. As another one, it will bind it together. He tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And in other words, our fame, you listen to me, our fame, our fortune, our pleasure is yet to come. All we do now by the grace of God, is we get a foretaste of it. God lets us, give us a foretaste of it, of what is yet to come. And this is, he sets before us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. In other words, they're going to pass away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. God ever holds before us <coughs> that eternal life. And that's what we're to look forward to as we fight the good fight of faith, laying hold on eternal life. To see the purpose for which God saved us, walking in the light of it, and then... Sufferings of this present life, Romans 8, the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us as we contemplate that glory and that place where God is going to put us <clears throat> in eternity with Him. Now, as I have meditated upon this portion, 
Oh, my heart has been made to praise my sovereign God. My heart has been made to praise my gracious God, that he points out to us, his creatures, that godliness is great gain. The world tells us different. You can't walk down the street or drive down the street. Every billboard tells you, try me. I'll give you pleasure. Every advertisement we read in the paper, buy me. Buy this garment. Buy that thing. That was a big one-page ad in the paper this past week. I'm sure you might have saw it. One little diet pill. Take off 49 pounds in 29 days. This will get you pleasure and joy and everything. Did you see it? It was in there. Everything is calculated to appeal to the flesh. Everything is, a cal- is calculated to please to the mind. Everything that comes on the TV, the radio, every advertisement that you see is, 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 is geared to, to appease or please or appeal to our flesh. Appeal to our fleshly desires, our worldly desires. We have not lived unless we smoked the, lad- the latest cigarette. We have not lived unless we have ridden in the latest model automobile. We have not lived unless we have a curved jacuzzi to get into. We have not lived unless we have the latest design of the swimming pools in our backyard. You name it, the whole world just crowds us, crowds us, crowds us, and appeals to our pleasure and our flesh. And God comes along in His precious Word... And he says, all of that is not. It's nothing. He said, that's not what life is all about at all, he says. He said, I'll tell you what life is all about. He said, godliness with contentment, that is great gain. Nothing else. For naked came out of my... Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked will I go out of this world. Each one of us here this morning was born of some woman who had a mother. And when you came in this world, you came out of your mother's womb naked. The undertaker didn't put a suit of clothes or a dress on you. Before he put you in the casket, you'd be exposed to the whole world as a naked being because you could not put it on yourself. You'll take nothing with it. Even though this man had a big parade down I-75, following the hearst was a big U-Haul van, and written across on both sides in the back, I'm taking it with me. He was only fooling himself and everybody, trying to fool everybody else. He took nothing with him. He brought nothing in the world. He took nothing out. So the Lord tells us what type of life to live. What type of life he desires for us to live. Why he saved us. To prove to the whole wide world in spite of all of the billions of advertising things that are advertised, so that the whole wide world know that the true life, the only life, the only life worth having, the only life worth living, is a godly life with contentment, and that is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we're going to take nothing out of it. Therefore, verse 8, having food and raiment, having a roof over our heads, clothes to put on our bodies, food to put on our stomachs, therewith let us be content. I want to tell you this morning that I'll be 73 in one month, and I know what I'm talking about. I've been in the Lord over 35 years. I could shout and clap my hands The only life worth living is the life of godliness with contentment. And I'll tell the whole world this this morning. I care not what they say. 
what they have because the richest man in all the world and what's his name my brother um, the computer man what's his name huh Gates you know something that Bill Gates can't wear but one suit of clothes at a time and I can do that he can't eat but one meal at a time and I can do that he can't lie but in one bed at a time and I can do that he can't wear but he can't drive but one car at a time and I can do that. What am I saying? Having food and raiment therewith to be content. I'll tell you, brethren and sisters, this morning, the happiest, most joyous life all the world is godliness with contentment. And God has been pleased to let us know that godliness is great gain. That he who has this life is the most blessed soul in all the world. I'll tell you why. If you would look at the word content, or contented, or contentment, and see what it says, it means there's an individual who is satisfied. And if you're satisfied, then you're content. And if I'm satisfied in Christ, and that's what the elements, what we're going to partake of in a little while mean, I am satisfied with his death. I am satisfied with the shedding of his precious blood. I am satisfied with all that he did for me at the cross. I am content with what he did. I am contented in his resurrection, in his ascension, his intercession within the veil. I am contented. That's godliness. And contentment means... What else do I need if I have food and raiment to walk with him day by day? The word means fulfillment. The contented man or the contented woman is a fulfilled individual. We hear so much today about the feminists being Fulfilled. They've been held down for so long. Been, they let them be fulfilled. Let man be fulfilled. Let the young child have his way so he can be fulfilled. Filled with what? Rebellion? Have his own way so he can stay out all night and get drunk, smoke, smoke pot? Fulfilled? The fulfilled life is the life that's lived in Christ. The life that's filled, that's the godly life. <clears throat> the word contentment means to be full of comfort, full of joy, full of happiness. The fulfilled life, the contented life, is a life that is, a, that is lived at peace with God, with man, and the self. Y'all don't believe that. Y'all don't believe that's true, do you? I just wonder how many in this audience this morning really believe that I'm telling you the truth. That this is what God's Word says. That the fulfilled life, the contented life, the life of godliness with contentment is great gain. And having the necessities of this life and living in contentment by walking with Him is the fulfilled life, is the peaceful life, is the joyful life, the happy life, the satisfied life.
Now you want to ask me a lot of questions. But you don't know what I have to battle at home. You don't know what I have to battle in the world. You don't know what I have to battle on the job. You don't know what God's put into my life with all of my afflictions and trials. I want you to get this scripture now. My soul has reveled in this. My soul has rejoiced in this. Are you listening? Psalm 16. Verse 6. Listen to what it says. This is the word of God. The lines are fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying? He said, the lot of my life. Verse 5, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. You see, God is his portion. The Lord God of glory is his inheritance, and that is his portion. So therefore, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. What is he saying? He is saying that whatever the Lord God of glory has ordained for my life, whatever he has allowed to come into my life, Those lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. That's a contented man. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Let me come back to that, but let me read you this scripture and see how our Lord took this. Are you listening? Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, <clears throat> who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. You know what the Lord Jesus was saying there? My lines have fallen into pleasant places, no matter what I've gone through with as a son of man, to redeem my people, my lines have fallen into pleasant places, and I have a goodly heritage. I'm going to bring many sons into glory. I have a goodly heritage. And we'll forget hearing, reading a story about this preacher who had a wife that was constantly murmuring complaining. He never did anything right. He never said anything right. Hated his preaching. Said she had not married a preacher. She didn't want to stay with the preacher, but yet she stayed. Years and years went on. And one day he was in a circular a meeting in a conference with other preachers and how the thing come about, I don't know, but one of the preachers said, listen, let's just rejoice and tell <clears throat> unto God and tell God what, what, what he's done for us in our lives. And about halfway around, they remembered this man and his poor wife, and they were ashamed that they'd ever brought the subject up, and they didn't know what to do. But he came to him. You know what he said? I've got the sweetest, most loveliest, precious, darling wife in all the world. She's been my sanctification for 36 years, and I would not swap her for anybody else, as my lines have fallen into pleasant places, and God's given me a goodly inheritance. Every mouth was stopped. 
You know what this man had learned? That godliness with contentment is great day. And that's what God would have us to understand this morning. That our lives have fallen to pleasant places no matter what comes upon us. I did not know, beloved, when I came to age, that I was going to have a body that was going to be operated on 20 times and a possibility for another one next month. That's the reason I wasn't in the pulpit last Sunday. I hear just continue to hurt. Apparently have another hernia. I didn't know all this. But I can truthfully tell you all from the depths of my soul, and God is my witness, my lines have fallen into pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage for my suffering and my operations and all that has come with it has been my sanctification. God has used it to bring me low at His feet. I have a goodly heritage. He's brought me through all of this for His glory. So let me find out godliness with contentment. Do you know what the opposite, the antinomium of the uh, of of the word? I was giving you some, some synonyms on on the word contented. Do you want to hear some antinomium? I guess I pronounced it right. It means to be dissatisfied, walking around all the time and nothing's right, walking around discontented with everything that comes into the light. Walking around fretful. Walking around troubled. Walking around uneasy. Walking around just downright miserable. Walking around disgruntled in everything that comes along. Walking around craving after the things which you think would satisfy. But if you only stop and think for a moment if you're a child of God... God knows right for your life. And He could not have done you anything better than to have put you in the situation that you're in for His glory and for your good. That you might appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for you upon the cross. i got a dear brother sitting here that can find Christ in more places in the Bible than anybody else. I've ever known in my life. He come to me yesterday and he says, have you ever seen this out of Psalm 86? And right away he finds Christ in Psalm 86. It was Christ crying out. He said, that's Christ speaking. And his sufferings upon the cross. And I, 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 I agree with him because our, man was, our Lord was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief constantly. Our lines have fallen into pleasant places. But can I take you just a little bit further? Did you know something? That the Word of God is filled with promises for this type of man? Let me read you a few. We start off with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and see if this is not truly the blessed man, the man who has learned that godliness with contentment is great gain. This is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I find a man poor in spirit. Oh, I found a blessed man. I found a blessed man, a man who's poor in spirit, a man who knows that he knows nothing, has nothing, can do nothing. I have found a blessed man. Then it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I hear a man crying over his sins. I hear a man crying over his lack of 
godliness, Christ-likeness. Ah, I hear, there's a blessed man. He's a blessed man. He's godly. He's contented. And then blessed are the meek. Well, they shall inherit the earth. And I find a meek man. When I find a man who's getting both sides of his face beat off at one time. When I find a man who's The contemptible speech of men is poured upon him every day. The most misunderstood man in all the world, I find a man who's misunderstood by the world because he walks godly in Christ Jesus. There's a blessed man. He's a meek man. He's one who is steadfast in the faith. He's content. Lord, make me that man. Make me that man. I've come with that cry in my soul this morning, Lord. Make me that that godly, contented man. I could go on. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. A man who is godly with contentment is a man who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It is amazing to me. It is amazing to me that our Lord told the woman at Jacob's well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again. But yet that's all we do. We keep on thirsting. We keep on drinking. That's one of those things in Scripture I got to wait to heaven to find out. Why it is that the Lord said that we shall never thirst again. And yet that's all we ever do is thirst after Him. We're never satisfied. Oh, we can be satisfied with the world. If we were of the world, there's a lot to be satisfied there. But when I thirst after Christ and I hunger after Christ, I'm not like Him yet. I haven't got that there yet. I haven't laid hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me, Paul said in Philippians Philippians 3. But that's the blessed man who is hungering and thirsting after Christ. Then could I read you one of the most quoted psalms in the Bible? Again, which one is most blessed? The man who is has godliness with contentment is the man who can say, The Lord is my shepherd. Now just stop for a while now. And I wish you'd take this home with you. Pigeonhole it. Put it in the back of your mind till you get home. And I ask you... To go home and after you've eaten lunch, sit down and just begin to meditate upon what the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, if the Lord is my shepherd, what comes after that? Do you know what comes after that? If the Lord is my shepherd, what comes after that? <laughs> I shall not want. Why, He's going to provide for me. He's undertaken for me. He has married Himself to me. i got to say this, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask God this morning not to let me say anything about myself this morning or my family, but i got to tell you this. Next month this time, I'll be married to my little wife for about 50, 54 years. And the poor darling, she thought she had, she, she had married a knight in shining armor. And 54 years later, she still thinks the same thing. And I'm trying to tell her it wasn't so, but it is so. I can truthfully tell y'all, that little girl, she was only 18. When I married her, she's okay. 
Here I am. Take care of me. I've taken care of her for 54 years. She'll take care of me too. But what I mean by that is, she lets me do all the thinking. I take care of everything in the sun. I make all the decisions. I'm not kidding you. I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't true. In other words, she's saying, you married me, now take care of me. And when we are married to Christ, He's our shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Why? Because He's going to take care of me. Now, I never know where he's going to lead me. I never know what situation he's going to lead me into. But I do know this very, I do know this, that I'm making a bold, I'm making a, I'm making a bold statement here. Because I happen to know where we are in this ministry, but I, I make a bold statement here. My shepherd has never brought me into any place where he's never provided and brought me out for his glory. You see, that's the blessedness of the life of godliness and contentment. I'm telling you this. It's the grace of God working in us. I shall not want. What does he do? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He knows where to lead me. He knows just what I need to feed upon on him. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He's there as my shepherd to restore my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I tell you, there's no other path that is worth trodden than the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even when I come and walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And my dear friend, before he left the pulpit this morning, he said, when I die, he said, I hope my last breath will be praising the Lord. And I said to myself, sitting over there, I said, brother, I've already experienced it. It was May a year ago when I knew I was going to die in three hours when they ushered me in that operating room. I committed myself to my living God. He gave me dying grace. I expected to wake up in heaven. And he goes with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. The blessed man, the contented man, he can walk fearing no evil, for he's with us. I wish I knew how to tell you about it trying to describe it to you this morning. The life that is, the only life that's worth living. Pick any other life. Name it. You can have any other life but that godly life with contentment. I'll guarantee you that that life, no matter what pleasure it might bring to the flesh, it'll never satisfy. Why? It's got sin mixed all the way in it. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And how many times has God done that for me? And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I can say it's true. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy, those two great shepherd dogs of the Lord, they're with us. Goodness and mercy are with us continually, continually. Then if you go back to our text, Paul said, food, having food and raiment therewith to be content. We brought nothing to the world, we can take nothing out. Then he warns us of any other kind of life. 
any other kind of life to have the pleasures or the riches of this world do nothing but bring many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And men who have stretched themselves out for money, coveted after the things of the world and what money would buy, all they have done is erred from the faith, they have left the faith, and they have nothing but pierced themselves through many sorrows. And beloved, mine has been a long ministry. And I'm sorry to say that I've seen many a soul come face to face with a life of godliness and contentment or a life of their own choosing to have the things of the world. I have, I have had individuals by the scores tell me that's the life I want, that's the life I should live, that's the life I should have. I have seen them take the other road and go into hell. They did not want to let go their sins. I'll tell you something else. Are you listening to me? The next time you walk up to a, a body in the funeral home, laying in the coffin, don't look the man or the woman in the face. Look at their hands. Just look at their hands. When you look at their hands, I want you to think one thought. And it is this. The only thing that these cold, dead hands will be able to hold in them is what they have given away. You know that? How do I know this? Well, he tells us down there in verse 17. Charge them that are rich. We're back at 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laid up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time that they may lay hold on eternal life or that they may lay hold on life indeed, which is life of godliness and contentment. Next time you see a body, look at the hands. For the only thing that they're holding in those hands is what they have given away. What they have done for the cause of Christ and for humanity in giving away everything that they have got for the glory of God, they may walk with Him. And then I must give you just a few words on verse 11. And is this. We are urged to flee all of these things that do not make for a godly life with contentment. We are to flee all wickedness, all money hungry, hungering, all error, all envy, all wangling, all reviling, we are to run after. We are to pursue. We are e to e eagerly seek after the things of the Lord and find in Christ our all and in all. That's what we are to do. In other words, we are to follow after righteousness. And this should characterize the life of the child of God. A right walking before our fellow man with deeds of righteousness. Follow peace with all men, is what he tells us in his word. Not trying to encroach upon the rights of others, <clears throat> but a firm determination to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. 
We're to follow after righteous living. Walking in a right way before God. In our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We're to walk after or flee after, <coughs> flee from and follow after godliness. In other words, we must give Him our heart. Oh, beloved, this would be the greatest day in the life of this church. You know that? If everyone on the sound of my voice today would, by the grace of God, enter into a covenant with the Lord to follow Him, to obey Him, to daily present your bodies a living sacrifice unto Him, to have no will of your own, to have only His will, and renew that vow every day, yielding only unto Him in a full heart of obedience unto Him. That's what He wants us to do. Follow after godliness. In other words, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice unto Him day by day, having no will of our own, but only the will of Him that sent us. Can a man live a life like that? Why would he tell us to do it if it wasn't possible? Why would he tell us that that is the life of great gain if that wasn't possible? It is the life of great gain. He wants us to follow after faith. That is, Relying more and more upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let faith have its perfect work. As the miser gets his banknotes out of his box, his diamonds and his rubies and all his collections of everything he's got, and he puts them on the bed and he runs his fingers through them and he says, Oh, how rich I am! Let us every day Come to the Word of God and put out on the table all of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. All He's bought for us by the, by the price of His own precious blood. Can you imagine? I could not name them all in the next hour. He has regenerated us and made us a new creation in Christ Jesus or we would still be dead in trespasses and sins. He has given us a standing before God in Christ's righteousness that makes us justified before God. Is that not a rich thing? He has married us to Himself. He's our husband. God is our Father. The Holy Spirit indwells us and our body is His temple. He has given us all things freely to enjoy. He has given us the riches of His glory. That right now, we have all of this glory in us by the Holy Spirit. Go on through the Word of God. Get those things that Christ has made unto us. And I got an outline that I've written out. didn't think about bringing it this morning. There's been another sermon to preach. I've got 250 things listed there of the riches of what I have. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Why can't we do like the miser who runs his fingers through all that glitters in this life and this is what he has. What can he do for it? He's not going to be able to take it with him. But all of what we have is only a foretaste by faith now of what we're going to have in reality throughout eternity. We shall see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears. But by faith we anticipate it. All those heavenly future things that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, think on these things. You talk about contentment. That's contentment. And then follow after love. 
You know, that's one of the most gracious things in all the world. Just to love. To love like He loved. Love with a, with a sacrificial love. Love with all that He is. And then I, I, my time's gone, but patience. <clears throat> that, that, that steadfastness. That steadfastness in the Christian faith. Think upon these things. Follow these things. Ask God to give you that character of the one who has a disposition under all of the greatest of trials and sufferings, who is steadfast in the faith, who quits himself like a man in the Word of God, in the work of God. And then the man who walks in meekness. And that's a precious, precious, precious thing to walk in meekness, walk like our blessed Lord. And that's what he tells us in Titus 2.12, 2, 2, teaching us to deny ungodliness and, and unworldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I tell you, brethren, as I close, that all of this comes to us out of what we're going to observe this morning. All of this comes to us out of the blood and righteousness of Christ. All of this comes out of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus being shed upon the cross. All of this comes out of His rent body, His rent flesh. All of this comes because He loved. And He loved with a love that brought Him to death. A love that would not let us go. A love that brought him down to the cross. And he did it for poor hell deserving sinners. He didn't do it for the mighty and for the noble. Not many of them are called and not many of them are chosen. But he tells us in Romans 5, he said, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's who he did it for. Are you here an ungodly sinner this morning? He did it for you. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet for adventure. For a good man some would even dare to die. But God, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. So let us come to him. And as you come to the table this morning, I want you to think upon these things. I want you to think upon this godly life, upon this contented life. I want you to think upon what God has bought for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think upon the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and all that He suffered, that we might walk in this godly life. And we could say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We can cry after Him, to follow Him only, follow Him alone, day by day, for Him to work these things in our hearts. This last thought. You ask me the question, how am I going to put all of this into practice that you've talked about this morning? It's not but one way. That is to come to the Savior. Tell him these are the things that you desire, the things that you want. This is the life that you want to live. This is the life you want above all other lives. This is it. Lord, I heard it this morning. This is the life I want, the life I desire. It's only in you and only by your power and by your strength and by your blood can I live it. And I come to you to work it in my heart. And I'll follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. May God bless you. And may God give us a question from this this morning.
for his glory. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L, 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.